invite you to take your Bibles and open to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3, it's good to be back here after a few weeks of being here, but obviously uh, had a, having Pastor James and then Tyler last week share the word with you. Um, there's a reason and purpose in that. One, it gives me a little bit of a break uh, from uh, sermon prep week after week, but it's also good for us as a body uh, to hear different voices, to hear different voices sharing the same word because uh, I hope you understand that what I'm saying is not important because I'm saying it. What I'm saying is important is because the Bible's saying it. So whether it's me or Pastor James or a missionary or another guest speaker that we have, uh, it's important to be here to hear from the Word of God. And so uh, it's good to learn different, uh, different styles of how different people preach and personalities. And so I hope you were blessed these, these past few weeks uh, having Pastor James and Tyler share. That being said, I'm looking forward to jump back in here into the book of Daniel. We're going to be in Daniel 3 this morning. If you're using a pew Bible, it's page 739. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here again to look at your word, your word that is unchanging, that is eternal. Lord, the the grass withers, and we know that. (laughs) We can see that. The flower fades. Lord, it's beautiful for a season, but then it's gone. But your word remains forever. Not only does it remain forever, but it is true forever. Lord, we can trust it. Help us now as we come to it, that we'd be challenged and encouraged to be more like Jesus through your word. We pray in your son's name. Amen. Daniel chapter 3 is our passage this morning. I'm not going to read the whole passage, but I'm going to read just a section, verses 16 through 18. Daniel 3. Verses 16 through 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. This is perhaps one of the most well-known passages from the Old Testament. This is a classic Sunday school lesson, as it should be, right? To think of this, three young men thrown into a fire and then come out alive. Like that right there makes a great flannel graph. I don't care who you are, right? (laughs) That's an amazing story that you tell a child and, wow, I can't believe that. That's amazing. Because their whole life they've been told not to play with fire, don't touch the fire, Stay away from the fire, right? Um, If you need a fireman, patrol person for a fire in your backyard, my wife is a wonderful candidate. She does that great with our kids, uh, probably because I don't the best. (laughs) Dads, you know where I'm at there. Um, But this story, this account, is so well known that sometimes we can miss the greater implications of it, right? Something is so well known that, oh yeah, I know what happens. And we forget Truly what is happening. Truly what is taking place. And as we read in Psalm 78, to declare the mighty works of God. This is a mighty work of God. Yes, to save these young men from the fire, but even more, their resolve for standing for the one true God. The fire is the hook to read the story. Well, the words of the young men are the truth 
and the meaning and the substance of what truly makes it so amazing. There was a phrase that I heard often uh, growing up, and I can't remember when I first heard it, but it's always stuck in my head. The phrase is this, only dead fish go with the flow. Now, it was used in several different circumstances, but applying it in a spiritual sense, only dead fish go with the flow. We're going to look here at Daniel 3 in this event, and the world, the culture, the immediate context, the flow of life in Babylon is telling these young men, just go with the flow. Just do what the king says. It'll just make it easier. But they don't. With resolve, they do not bow. They do not kneel. They stand for their God. They do not go with the flow, for they are not just simply dead fish. But they stand when they are pressured. They stand in the midst of a sinful pagan culture, as they have been doing since they arrived there. And they would not worship this false god, this idol, but they resolved to only worship the true God. And that brought with it consequences. Our big idea this morning is this, is that true worship of God results in standing for Him no matter what. True worship of God results in standing for Him no matter what. A lot of people say that they worship God, that they follow God, that they even may be a Christian. They may even say it. They may even have some activities in their life that may lend themselves to that, but truly, they're a heart of hearts. They don't worship God because when things get difficult, when the flow of culture shifts, they kneel to that rather than standing for the God they say that they worship. June is Pride Month, right? I'm sure you've seen it everywhere. All of a sudden, the corporations and companies in the broader culture promote their support for an anti-biblical lifestyle. Now, it's easy to go with the flow. And many churches have. They've embraced these false ideas They've said, well, the Bible was written many years ago. We don't need to follow those specifics anymore. And they bow to the whims of culture rather than standing for the true worship of God. True worship results in standing for Him no matter what. Far too often we say that we worship God, yet there's a disconnect from what we say and what we do when things are easy versus when we are put in a hard spot. True worship of God means standing for Him regardless of consequences. Sinful culture, it means opportunities that we will have to speak up. And it will bring difficulties. But ultimately, it will mean that we are glorifying Him. So as we look at this passage, and as we think of true worship of God results in standing for Him, the idea of worship. Worship is more than just singing on Sunday morning. Worship is more than just your time alone in the Bible or singing to praise songs in the car. (laughs) True worship, one author says, legitimate worship consists of thinking, believing, and living for God's glory and honor alone. True worship, legitimate worship, consists of thinking, believing, and living for God's glory and honor alone. That's what true worship is. So that impacts more than just what you do on Sunday morning or in your Bible time in the evening, but how you live your life and what you do with your life. That's legitimate worship. So let's look here 
at these four consequences of standing for God as we truly worship him. First off, standing for God means that you'll be going contrary to culture. Standing for God means you'll be going contrary to culture. Culture is the, uh, is the, the uh, communal beliefs that are held, uh, that are expressed through different means and ways and activities and relationships. So you look at our culture now, and there's a lot of, lot of impacts. We live in, in a Western culture, you could say, and that differs from an Eastern culture, and there's a lot of nuances and differences to that, right? Culture is the, the commonly accepted practices and attitudes and how you handle relationships. It was interesting talking to Tyler and Kat last week about the culture in France and about what things are similar, what things are different, and how, and how basically you don't talk to your neighbor in France. And that's just an accepted part of the culture. France loves food. Uh, talking to, to them again about Liam, their little guy who goes to school, their lunchtime is an hour and a half. That's how long their lunch period is. I remember scarfing down in 20 minutes as much food as I can because I had to get to my next class, right? You can tell the, the different values in the culture. So as we come to this passage, we must remember the culture that these young men are in, in Daniel 3. They are in a pagan culture. They are in the kingdom of Babylon, of King Nebuchadnezzar. He is the all-powerful, mighty king of Babylon. And we've had some interaction with him before. And this is another instance here, and it's not focused on Daniel, but upon his three companions, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And if you remember, they have a high place appointed by the king to rule over different areas as uh, government officials, and they have a lot of responsibility. But they are, uh, they are resolved to follow the one true God. They are... Jews in exile here in the land of Babylon. And so we come to chapter 3, and it says that King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar makes an image of gold. Now this should strike you. Hopefully you haven't forgot what chapter 2 is about. What did Nebuchadnezzar dream about in chapter 2? A giant statue, right? Isn't it interesting how all of a sudden he has the desire to make a huge statue of himself? <laughs> it's like he saw this vision. He said, well, forget about all these other metals. I'm going to make a statue of all gold, and it's just going to be me the whole time, baby. It's all about me. Here we go. <laughs> I think it's so ironic that Nebuchadnezzar did this and how maybe quickly he forgets or how he still is not understanding how the God of Daniel and these young men is sovereign over all these kingdoms. And no matter what he does, he cannot stand against him. Anyways, Nebuchadnezzar makes this image. It's a roughly 90 to 100 feet high, what 60, cub or 60 cubits translates into. And it's made of gold. It's probably not solid gold. More than likely, it's overlaid with a thick layer of gold. But it would still be very bright in the, the Middle Eastern sun, in the middle of this plain, be very high. It would be a very impressive sight to see. And so he sets it up, and he calls all these government officials. And I'm not going to go through the whole list here in, chat, in verse 2, but the satraps, governors, treasurers, all the important people, all the people, basically government workers. And he calls them, and he says, when you hear these instruments, verse 7, talks about it, when you hear them, 
You are to bow down. Verse 4 says, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe. Bagpipe, Pastor James. And every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship this golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. So it's not just simply saying, you're the king, I'm going to honor you, I'm going to serve you. But here is the aspect of worship, of falling down, of bowing before. The king is saying, you must bow the knee and you must worship this golden idol, which represents me as your God. That's what he's saying. And there's some consequences if you don't. Verse 6, And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Now, does Nebuchadnezzar just randomly have a burning, fiery furnace with him wherever he goes in case he needs to kill somebody? You know, the portable, fiery furnace? Most commentators think that this furnace was in place because they needed it to melt the gold to form the statue and so on and so forth. So it was, it was very conveniently located close. And as the statue was built, hey, we have this fiery furnace that can be used as punishment. And so if you do not bow to the statue, you will be thrown into the furnace. Verse 7, Therefore, as the people heard all these instruments play, they fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So there's more than likely several hundred, if not maybe a thousand people there. All these governors... All these men, it doesn't seem as if Daniel's there. Perhaps this is out in the provinces in this plain of Dura, so it's out of the capital city where Daniel would have been, but these other regional governors are in the area. They've gathered together. The music plays. Okay, bow down, bow down, bow down. Why? Out of fear of retribution from King Nebuchadnezzar. Because in King Nebuchadnezzar's so-called power, he has to demonstrate that through fear through manipulation, through coercion, right? Worship me as your God, and if you don't, I'm going to kill you. Okay, that sounds like a good plan. You sound like a gracious, benevolent ruler. <laughs> so the music goes out. They all bow. Verse 8. But therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans, another word here for the Babylonians or other uh, these, these government officials, came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They maliciously accused the Jews. Who are these Jews? Well, we learned that they are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in verse 12. And that they did not bow down. These Chaldeans came and they said, O king, live forever. You have made this decree. And whoever does not fall down in verse 11 and worship you shall be cast to a burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. That phrase, pay no attention to you, is a phrase that communicates disrespect or disregard. They are saying, these men have no regard for you. They think very little of you. They disrespect you. Now, is that the case? Probably not. These young men probably respected Nebuchadnezzar in a certain sense more than these other Babylonian officials did. They wanted to honor the emperor, honor the king. In doing so, they were honoring God in the position that he had put them in. But here, this is twisted. They are maliciously attacked, says in verse 8. They are accused. The three men 
turned these values upside down, going contrary to how everyone else thought and acted. They willingly went with the flow. Okay, I'm going to bow the knee. Nebuchadnezzar, he's on his high horse again, and I don't want to die. I'm just going to bow the knee. And these young men said, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to to submit to worship this false idol. And these other rulers, these other officials saw this and used it as an opportunity to maybe garner some good rapport with King Nebuchadnezzar by throwing these three young men under the bus. Right? They saw it as an opportunity to get rid of these young men and themselves have a point of authority. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went contrary to the world around. They would not bow. In our world, culture is going one way. And the Bible says that. In the last days, this is what all these sins are going to look like. And really, it's been like that since the time of Paul. (laughs) Just expressed in different and new ways. And we need to understand this. And I think as we look at the world around us, I think we need to view the world around us much more like we are living in Babylon rather than we are living in Israel. Because the world around us is contrary to the word of God, is seeking to undermine the word of God. And we should not be surprised because that is the way of the sinful, sinful world. <laughs> but we need to understand that if we are to stand for God, we're going to be going contrary to those sinful directions of culture. We need to recognize that. But something else comes along with this. When we stand for God, we're going to go contrary. We, we, we're going to be different, and that's okay. But this will also mean that we'll have opportunities to speak up, and that's our second point. Standing for God means you'll have opportunities to speak up. Daniel 3, verses 13 through 18. Nebuchadnezzar then hears this. And Nebuchadnezzar says, fine, that's okay. I know them. I know their God. It's it's fine. No. (laughs) He's in a furious rage. Hopefully you've catched, uh, or caught, catched, caught, uh, caught a theme here from Nebuchadnezzar. He does not necessarily respond with the most level-headedness of a king. Look at the previous chapters in furious rage and fits of anger and this and that. And here we're going to see his anger again. In furious rage. In furious rage, Nebuchadnezzar commands that these three young men are brought to him, and they are brought before the king. So here they are, standing for what they believe, going contrary to everyone else around them. And now they have an opportunity to speak to the king, to speak to Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar answers and says to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready when you hear these instruments, fall down and worship the image that I have made. Well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Nebuchadnezzar confronts him. He says, is it true? Maybe, maybe these people were, were misunderstood or they didn't see correctly. Or Here's an opportunity for you to correct what they saw. Right? that boldness that we may have at a certain point in time to do something, and then when we are confronted about it, 
all of a sudden we kind of melt back, right? And all of a sudden our boldness is, is melting away. These three young men, when they are directly confronted by the king, do not fold, but rather they stand. And he says, I'm going to give you another opportunity. I'm going to give you another opportunity. Maybe you didn't hear. You know, maybe you have poor hearing. I don't know. You know, that noise that you heard, that was the music. (laughs) You're supposed to kneel. But if you don't, I'm going to cast you into the burning fiery furnace. Think of the madness of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar invested in these young men, right? They come from Babylon. He feeds them. He trains them. He sets them up. He's appointed them. They know all the ins and outs of what they do. And Nebuchadnezzar is willing to kill them and get rid of these three quality young men because they won't simply bow to his idol. This is a man filled with furious rage and pride. And he asks him this question. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Nebuchadnezzar is still blind to who the God of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is. Yes, he's had some or introduction to him, but still he thinks that his gods are more powerful than their God. Because in Nebuchadnezzar's mind, the God of the Jews can coexist with his God, uh, gods of Babylon, right? And his are more powerful. Theirs is there, but his is more powerful. Your God is not strong enough to deliver you out of my hands. This is this personal idea of I'm the one who's going to be constricting my hands around you. Nobody can take them out of my hands. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answer. Their opportunity to speak up. They say, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. This isn't them saying, we're not going to say anything, but rather, you're you're not going to believe what we say, but we're going to say it. O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so... If what you've laid out for us is true, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. They speak up and they say, you do not understand, Nebuchadnezzar, about who our God is. He will deliver us out of your hand. Who is the God who can save us from your hand? Our God is. The one true God. He is the one who is able to quench your fiery furnace. He is the one who can deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. We serve him, not you and your God. Now you may think you're God, but no, this is our God. He is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. They are standing as witnesses to the one true God before the king of Babylon who can take their life. And they say, the end of verse 17, he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. He is able to. But I love verse 18. Verse 18 was perhaps one of the verses that God used through high school and into college to really change my perspective on what it means to follow after God. God is able to deliver us out of the burning fiery furnace. Listen to the beginning of verse 18. But if not, 
But if not, we can't command our God to do what we want him to do for us. We can't say, Nebuchadnezzar, our God is going to do this. He can. He is able. Our God can create everything. He can move mountains. He can save us from your small little bonfire. He can do that. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. These three young men are resolved to stand for God no matter what. They know that God can deliver them, that God can save them, that God can work in a miraculous way, but they do not command God to do it exactly what they want or how they want, but they are willing to stand for God no matter what. If it means that he delivers them from the furnace or if they die in the furnace, to them it does not matter as long as they do not bow the knee to a false God. If you follow Christ, if you claim him as your Lord and Savior and follow him with your whole life, he can do amazing things in you. He will do amazing things in you. But understand this, you're going to have opportunities to speak up for him. Sometimes they will go well and sometimes they won't. But if not, but if not, following God does not mean I only follow God because of the ease and the comfort and the deliverance that I get. No, I follow God because he is truly the one true God worthy of our worship who has saved us from our sins through Jesus Christ. And so whether that means there's going to be times of ease and blessing or times of difficulty, I'm going to stand for him. You can deliver me, O king, but if not, I'm not going to bow the knee. But if not, it's a perspective of life that no matter what happens, God is sovereignly in control in the good ways and also in the hard things. God allows times of blessings and difficulties. And God, you can take this difficulty from me, but if you don't, I will continue to stand for you. It's what Paul does in 2 Corinthians 10, right? Excuse me, 2 Corinthians 12. He prayed how many times for the thorn of the flesh to be taken from him? Three times, Lord, take this thorn from me. Does God take the thorn from him? No. But what does Paul say? I will more gladly boast in my weaknesses because through my weaknesses, I am made strong. Not in spite of my weaknesses, but through my weaknesses. The fact that we rely upon Christ and his power in us giving us the strength to face these difficulties. It's saying, I can take the good and the bad, but if not, regardless of the outcome, they are seeking to honor God without thought to the cost. And they had an opportunity to speak up. When we go contrary to culture, do you know how many times people will ask you questions? Some will be accusatory and seeking to attack you, but then there will be honest people who want to know the truth, that there's another way to live than the world around you? Yes. <laughs> yes, there is. Opportunity to speak up. And as we speak up and as we've already talked about, standing for God means we'll have difficulties. That's our third point. We'll go contrary to culture, but we'll have opportunity to speak up. That means we'll have difficulties. Following God is hard. It is. It has been ordained for us to not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his name's sake. 
for all those who believe in Jesus Christ will be persecuted. Paul says that he longs to share in the sufferings of Jesus Christ. We will have difficulties in our lives. Look here, verse 19. Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury. Again, rage unbounded. And the expression of his face changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Kids, you know what that means, right? You ever done something, you look at mom and dad, and all of a sudden their face goes, they're yelling at you without saying anything, right? <laughs> you can read their minds through their facial expressions. It's that idea. that Nebuchadnezzar's face changed. It was contorted. It was filled with fury. And he ordered, you, you see here his, what happens when you have unbounded anger and rage. So he charges that the furniture be heated seven times more. Verse 19. And he ordered his mighty men of his army. These are his, like his choice soldiers to throw these young men, to bind them and cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks and their tunics. This is all their outer wear, their kind of government official wear. It was more than just common everyday wear. It was their, their nice clothes. Things that would have been very flammable. And they were bound in them and they were thrown into the burning fire furnace. And look at verse 22. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the furnace, or, or fi the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the three men fell into the burning fiery furnace. This is a difficult thing. They were the recipients of the judgment of Nebuchadnezzar, like he said. But in Nebuchadnezzar's foolish fury and wrath, he heats up the furnace. He actually ends up killing some of his most choice soldiers because the fire was so strong and so hot. A lot of different ideas of what this furnace might look like if there was down below and there was a place to, to dump over or there was a side door. No matter what, it was hot. And they got too close and it consumed them. The fire did. I made a lot of fires in high school with a good friend of mine. It was one of our ministries in our church. People had things that needed to be burned. And we were willing to serve the Lord as 17-year-old boys by burning them. Okay? And uh, a man in our church had an, had an area, a big burn pit out on his acreage. And, and so that was one of our favorite things to do on the weekend, Friday, Saturday night. And I remember getting the, the fire hot and big, and it was burning. And, and I remember thinking, man, my legs feel kind of funny. And I looked down, there was some plywood, but I didn't realize that there was a gap in the plywood. And right there, the flames were shooting out. And of course, in the summer I had shorts on. My buddy and I, we looked down, all of the hair in our legs singed completely off. And you could smell like the burning hair. It's like, oh my goodness. We were just that close and it, it got our, our leg hair. <laughs> now think of it, it was heated all the more and it was designed to, to kill people. How that would just take these men in and just overwhelm them. The difficulties that these men faced, they were thrown into the fire. They were thrown into the fire in Nebuchadnezzar's pride and rage. And in his pride and rage, he lost good soldiers. Men who were willing to serve and follow him, he lost. God does not save these young men from the fire. They go into the fire. 
yet we see how when there are difficulties, that God often brings us through the fire and we end up glorifying Him. Look at verses 24 through 30, and this is our fourth point. Standing for God means you'll be glorifying Him. Then Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? So he's watching, and he may be able to see in somehow, some way, and they throw them into the fire, the three men, and he says, wait a minute. There's four in there. There's four. Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. You're right, king. But I see four men unbound. So their, their bindings have come off. And they're walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar sees this miracle, this miracular, miraculous deliverance. He looks in, he sees these three young men, but there's somebody else with them. And they're unbound. They're walking about. I would love to talk to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when I get to heaven and say, what was it like to walk unbound freely in the fire? Not with all your fire gear on, you guys who, who on fire departments, but just in normal clothes and not being consumed. Nebuchadnezzar looks in and he sees another, this fourth, like the son of the gods. Now, some people question if this is the pre-incarnate Christ. The King James incorrectly translated this as like the Son of God, implying that it is. But in the Aramaic, it's the phrase, the Son of the Gods. Nebuchadnezzar would have no understanding of the Son of God, Jesus. He would understand this phrase as the Son of God, this supernatural being. And that's, that's what he observed. Now, could it be the pre-incarnate Christ? It could be. I tend to lean towards it being just an angel sent by God to deliver these three young men. If you remember Daniel 6, which we get to, when Daniel's thrown into the lion's den, this is a mirror passage. Who did God send to shut the mouths of the lion? Daniel says he sent an angel. So I think it matches well that this would just be an angel sent by God. It could be Jesus. We don't know for sure. But no matter that, it's a supernatural being that Nebuchadnezzar sees. And he is astonished. Verse 26, Nebuchadnezzar comes near the door of the fire and he declares, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. And Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego come out, came out of the fire. And all these rulers saw. What did they see? The hair of their heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed and no smell of fire had come upon them. If you're around fire for even a short amount of time, you can smell the smoke in your clothes. Now try being in a fire and coming out not smelling like it. Their hair was not singed, unlike my friend and I. <laughs> they were completely delivered. They were not harmed. There was no trace of the fire on them. When God does a miracle, he does it completely. They did not have a hair singed. They were altogether healthy, and they did not even smell of fire. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who had sent his angel 
and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Nebuchadnezzar recognizes the devotion of these three young men for the one true God. He is getting a glimpse of what it means to follow the one true God. He says, therefore, I make this decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. These three young men stood for God. And in doing so, they went contrary to the culture. They had an opportunity to speak up for God. They had difficulties, but in the end, they brought glory to God. They brought glory to God. Nebuchadnezzar here makes it acceptable to worship the one true God. He's not saying that there is no other God besides Yahweh. He's just saying, hey, listen, nobody else can speak against their God. And if you do, I'm going to take you limb for limb. Nebuchadnezzar is slowly coming to the realization of who Yahweh is. This mighty God. And he says there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Unbelievers can witness amazing things that God has done. And they can, in a sense, give some lip service to him. And they can start to understand, you're right. Your God that you serve is amazing but not wholly accepting it themselves. And we've seen this progression of Nebuchadnezzar. And I can't wait till next week in Daniel 4 when he's truly confronted (laughs) with who God is. Verse 30, Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Through this all, they stood strong. They stood bold. They went against culture. They spoke up when the opportunity was given. They had difficulties, but in the end, they sought to glorify God, and God was glorified. God's power over human plans. Nebuchadnezzar thought he was all that there was. He set up the statue, and do you know what the people probably ended up talking about after that day? It was not the statue. It was the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who delivered them through the fire. God brings glory to his namesake through his faithful followers. May we be faithful in our true worship of God to stand for him no matter what. In a world that is going contrary to the word of God, may we be bold and humble in standing for him, speaking up, receiving the difficulties, and ultimately bring glory to him as the one true God. Father, thank you for these young men. We thank you for your power that is displayed here. Lord, I pray that you would give us boldness. Give us the grace and the strength as we are in Christ. What Christ has endured for us, that we would be bold. That we would stand and speak the truth. Not in a malicious way, but in a loving way, boldly speaking the truth in love to a world that needs to hear it. Lord, that we would demonstrate our true worship of you by standing for you no matter what. We love you. We pray in your son's name. Amen. Leave you with these verses from Ephesians 3, verse 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church 
and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.